0: says. So today, um, today's the, the day that we're going to just make a quick pass through Proverbs 18. 18. Here's the verse I chose, uh, verse 12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Um, I, I, I want to say one other thing too here. Um, if you came in late, I'm sorry, and you had to you found yourself in a metal seat and it's not very comfortable. You should find a padded one now if you want to because I, I know that the heart cannot receive what the rump cannot endure. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we, we have this this good dilemma as a church that we fill up the room and uh, we fill it up with little people too because it's a core value for us, for our children to participate and to see their parents worshiping. And, um, but that takes chairs, and so we get to this point, and then there's a few more chairs available. I'll let you know, I wasn't planning to talk about this today, but um, the, the leadership team here and the church council, we've been working this issue for a while, and we have talked with architects and engineers, and we have some plans we're hatching to knock out some walls and make the room bigger and make a larger foyer and connect this building to the fellowship hall with an interior hallway, blah, blah, blah. Pretty cool stuff, yeah. Um, and um, we're counting the cost right now. We're figuring out the cost because we... We have it in our hearts to get this done and uh, to not break the bank doing it. So uh, we're gonna solve this problem because I just wanna keep the kids in here and um, and I know you do too as well. So that's going on. But when we get to this point and if you have a seat, if you're ever in church and you got a seat that's like somewhere that's not the best, once the kids go, go get a good seat. That's what families do. They move around the living room and they relax. Okay, so go ahead. Where I can see the whole city. And I waited for God to answer my question. Get a pencil and write this down, he said. Because when you hear what I have to say, you're going to want to tell everybody. So we've been, um, we're now in the second week of a series that I'm doing uh, with you out of the book of Habakkuk, which is, um, you know, I don't know how many of you spend a lot of time in Habakkuk. It's just kind of this, Uh, It's a a book in the Bible that you can pretty much miss it if you're not careful. It's only a couple of pages, but it's pretty profound. Habakkuk was um, what we call one of the minor prophets, and that doesn't mean we call him minor because it wasn't important. We call him one of the minor prophets just because the amount of volume in the whole Bible is not very large, Um, yet it's pretty profound. And His name means uh, to embrace, or literally means to wrestle, grab and wrestle with. So that's what this guy's known for. And the book of Habakkuk... It's kind of written in judicial language if you take a look at it. Um, it's, it's written about 600 years before Jesus and um, it's, it's, it's an amazing book to read. It's, it can be discouraging to read it, in fact, because you hear this, this guy saying, you know, what is going on around here? Things are kind of falling apart. God, are you there? And God's answer is, yeah, things are falling apart and I'm going to have to do something about it. I'm going to have to, to uh, discipline the people that I love. And then God tosses this really odd twist into the deal, he says, and I'm going to use these more evil people to correct you, evil people, which just doesn't make sense to us. It just, I mean, kind of we kind of glitch, and uh, so Habakkuk says things to God like, you know, Your honor, I object. It's kind of like in in, in um, courtroom discussion, and so he's saying, I love you, God. And I honor you, your honor, but objection because I've got some evidence here. We need to talk this out and uh, figure things out. What are you doing? What you're doing just, God, this just does not seem fair. Today, if you are facing something that you look at that and you think in your mind, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. Sure, I'm not perfect. And I make mistakes, but my heart is generally inclined where it's supposed to be. But, you know, what I'm encountering isn't, doesn't make sense. God things are out of proportion here. It just doesn't seem right. Um, if that's the way you feel today, or maybe you'll feel that way at some point because I think everybody gets there. probably everybody gets there multiple times in their lives. Then this book will really speak to you. I think I really believe that it will and uh, um, you know the question we 're going to wrestle with today is what do you do when you 're in the dip and we talked about this the last time let me let me just take a minute or two and review what this means, um, I'm, I, I hope you can see what's going on here. I won't spend a lot of time on, in front of the, the dry erase board, but, but I, I, I read this book, and this teaching is not from the book, but a guy named Seth Godin, he write, re, reads, wrote this book called The Dip, and he draws this curve, it looks like this. I don't know if you can see that in the back. So he draws this curve, and his, the book is a completely different topic. Um, it's, it's, I'm completely off-topic here, so I'm kind of borrowing his curve and, and for our purposes, And so last time we spent some time talking about this. And so we're going to say that down here is where a person is at the very beginning, and they have, let's say they have no relationship, they don't know who Jesus is. And somehow they come to a point where their heart becomes available, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God reveals Himself to this person, and they say, Wow, I have I'm kind of not on a good good trajectory. I need you in my life, Lord. And they open their heart and the Holy Spirit changes them, and there's an instantaneous change, and some really good things typically start happening at that moment. They start praying, and God hears their prayers, and, and He answers their prayers, and and uh, their 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 value starts to add to their life, and they start having hope where they didn't have hope, and things keep going. And things keep, things are going, you know. They, they pray for their someone in their family, and God answers the prayer, and up they go, up they go, and then then life starts to kick in a little bit down the road, and you know they get. They get a ticket for not making a full stop at a stop sign, and they're thinking, okay, everybody does it. Come on, why did I get the ticket? And and then they pray for somebody, and instead of getting better, that person gets sicker. And so now things start kind of, you know, they don't get all of their prayers answered, and life continued. It's not like it was all fixed back here, but something's happened. And they get down to this place where um, we will call here a crisis of belief. Good luck reading this. But I know what it says. They get into this place where there's a crisis of belief. And they're going, you know, God, are you there? Because I thought you were going to be, you, I thought you and I had this agreement. I thought we had this partnership thing. And typically when people get here, they go to one of two places, two, commonly two things. Sometimes they go right straight back here. They, try, they head back for their high point and they say, these things that are bad that are going on around me. I'm just going to ignore them and pretend they're not there. I'm going to pretend I don't have a conflict in my heart with what's going on with God. I'll just go back here and just live my life with blinders. Or the other thing that people will do is they'll say, you know, God, I thought you were going to do some things for me. I think you should do some things for me. You didn't do the things that I think you should do. If you're not the God who I think you should be, and if you don't do the things that I think you should do, forget you. I'll go back there. And those are the two common, common responses to people that get into the dip, that dip. Then they say, forget you, God. And that is way, 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 way too common. I, I mentioned before that Habakkuk's name means to embrace or to wrestle. And when somebody comes to a place of crisis in their faith, if they will continue to embrace God while they're in that crisis, even to wrestle with him at times, Things may not get better yet. They might even get worse for a while. But that person can then get to the point where they can live out uh, Scripture in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And this little passage, as I'll read to you, just used to drive me crazy when I was sitting out there listening to the upfront front say it because I didn't understand how I could count it joy when bad stuff goes on in my life. But that's what this says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The believer who will continue to embrace God, even though things are not getting better, that person will find that they're going to get actually much, much closer to God. They will. They're going to get closer. And I, I think this, if you look in, at the people that you know who seem really close to the Lord, when you, if you dig into what's gone on in their life, you're going to find that when they've hit their most difficult times, they press towards God, not away from him. What do you do when you're in the dip? Habakkuk shows us three practical things that we can do, so let's see what he says. Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied... Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It certainly, it will certainly come and will not delay. What do you do when you're in the dip? What do you do when, um, when life doesn't make sense? and God doesn't seem fair, and you're wondering, God, where are you? And God, what are you doing? The first thing you do is you stop and listen. You stop and listen. That's what Habakkuk basically did. He he basically said, God, I don't like this. I'm complaining to you. And here's the amazing thing. God, in his response, his loving, respectful response, is basically saying, you know, it's really okay if you wrestle with me? Did you realize that? The creator of the heavens and the earth is willing to let you be sincere and authentic with him. He does not want you to put on some sort of respectful pretense like you've been taught in the Old Testament where uh, if you would uh, come into the presence of the king, if the king didn't like the way you looked or smelled or what color you had on, if he didn't raise that scepter, you were dead. That is not heaven. God wants you to come in as sincere and as authentic and as raw as you need to be so that you have an honest relationship with the Father. That's what He wants, relationship. We stop and we listen. And so He says, uh, you know, I don't like what you're doing. It doesn't make sense. Now, God, I really need to hear some answers from you. I, I, I need to listen, but I need to hear some answers. And so here's what he says in verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. In other words, I'm going to climb up on the wall, I'm going to hang out, and I'm going to look and see what God's doing. He says, I will look to see what he will say to me. God, what's going on here? Too often, I think, we'll ask questions, but then we just go on with our lives. We ask the question, but we never stop to listen and say, God, now what are you saying here? And we have this wonderful, beautiful God who loves to speak to us. He actually likes to speak to us, I believe. His kids. It's what Eric said about what happens when your children want something. You have the parents' attention and God's listening. I think He's a God who, who, who speaks. And, and if you'll stop and listen, God will often speak to you. How will He speak? That's a legitimate question. How will He speak? I think there's lots of different ways. Um, I think I think God, you know, can God speak audibly? I've never heard God's audible voice, but I believe He can. I believe He does. But so that's that'd be wonderful if He would just show up and speak. I don't know if it'd be good or not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I look at uh, people like Stephen and in, in, in the New Testament where he got to you know examined after Jesus was dead and had risen. He got to examine the wounds. I mean. Sounds nice and faith-building, but it's kind of scary thinking that God would actually speak out loud to us. I mean, that's just me being childish, and I don't know why, but okay, I believe audibly is one way, probably pretty infrequent. He can speak to us through his word. He can do that all day long, and you will find if you spend time in the word, he will speak to you through his word. He can speak through circumstances. He can speak through other people. Some people believe that God won't speak to us because he's God. I don't agree with that. I believe, you know, the most the the more often we think that he's silent, he has spoken and we just haven't heard it. Now here's the deal. If you listen to him, you may not like what he says to you. You may, I don't know, but he will speak to you if you're listening to the Lord. Habakkuk's not going to like you know, what he hears because you know, Habakkuk is thinking, you know, well, here's what I was hoping was you were going to say, God. But if you're silent before him, God will often speak to you. There's all kinds of examples, though, where sometimes we'll hear some things that are different than what we want. And a good, good example of this is the Apostle Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul, you'll read in a couple of places in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, a couple of other places, where he mentions something that he calls the, this thorn in his side it's a metaphor for a problem that he has. Now, nobody really knows for certain what the problem was. Could have been a physical ailment, don't really know. But it was enough of an issue that um, it made scripture, and it was enough of an issue that he pleaded with the Lord repeatedly. Lord, would you take this away? Three times at least, Lord, would you take this away? Could you take this away? Could you take this away? And basically God said, "Mm, love you, but I know I could take that away but I'm not going to. And so my answer is no. Well, why? Why, God? I think the Lord was thinking in there somewhere because I'm going to do something differently than you would do, but I'm going to do something better than take it away. I'm going to instead build something in you that I don't think I could do if I took that away. You're right. I could do that, but I'm not going to because I want to build something inside of you. So when you don't understand and you're in the dip, the first thing you do is you stop and listen to let, let God speak to you. The second thing that you do is you write down what God shows you. Habakkuk asks, you know, God, what's going on? And God says, you want to know Habakkuk? You take notes. So here's what he said, Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it as interesting that he says, so that a herald, so that it's, it's got to be durable. He, it's like this needs to be not be on a post-it, but it needs to be on something. I mean, there's nothing wrong with writing something on a post-it, but it just seems to me the Lord wants us more durable. I think maybe we'll figure that out as we go here. Why does God want us to write it down? I mean, I think, I think God sometimes could be saying, you know, what when I prove myself just and true, I want it in writing so that you'll be able to look back and say, yeah, God's just and true. He said this back then, and look, today, what's going on? I think that's one good reason, but I think writing it down is for our benefit because we forget things. I mean, I can leave my house. I literally live less than five minutes from the grocery store and say, honey, I'm going to the store. Is there anything you need me? And she'll say, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I, with my great mental faculties and powers, we'll file that right here where it belongs. Don't need to write it down because I'm a man. And um, if I didn't have a cell phone to re- reacquire the list while I was still in the store, I'd make multiple trips. I mean, it's just we forget things. We forget things. But there's something spiritual for why the Lord wants you to write it down. Your spiritual enemy is an expert at trying to steal the seeds of truth that God wants to plant in your soul. He's an expert at it. Get me a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. And by the time I'm at the store, he's had me thinking about the football game, something I want to do to my car, something about, you know, three other things. Okay, what was I supposed to get here? See, was it potato chips and what? I mean, can't remember what she sent me here for, popcorn and potato chips. It had to be that. Brownie mix. <laughs> You know, and it's happened to me. I've been wrestling with things, with something and praying, you know, God, are you there? What's going on? And God will show me something that I know he has spoken to me. I mean, I'm certain that he's spoken it to me. And a little bit of time will go by, sometimes an hour or two. And I'll reflect back and think, you know, that probably was God. And a little more time goes by and, you know, my, I, can become, I can become faithless. I'm, a week might go by or two, and I might be thinking, you know, was that God or was that like the anchovies? I shouldn't have had the anchovies on that pizza. I mean, and, and somehow I blame indigestion on God. I mean, time slips by, God wants it written down. And I, you know, I like something too. I mean, when, when it's written down, it becomes a spiritual anchor, it becomes a place that you can look to and say, I'm tied to that. I had an encounter with the Lord, and I am tied to that moment. I believe it, and I'm tied to that moment. It's a reference point to go back to. I, um, I might be a little bit fanatic about this. I don't think so. But I have a file folder in my desk in my office at home, and all it's full of is notes I have made going back years of something that I believe the Lord has spoken to me about my family, about my ministry, about what He wants to do and shape or change or correct and tarry. I mean, or if somebody else comes up to me and they say, I, have, "I believe I have a prophetic word for you," and they share it, I like to I like to say to them, "Would you write it down?" I mean, I could write it down, and it will get translated into what I wanted to hear. Might be better if you wrote it down for me because you know, um, and I don't want to go off on a prophetic um, teaching today. I i will do that another time. I believe in it. It's taught in the Word of God. Prophecy is not predicting the future. It's something completely different that the word talks about. But anyway, so so I've got this file folder full of documents that go back decades of things that that the Lord was speaking to me. And I can look at that now and say, oh, yeah, I remember the Lord was doing that. And look at how he's done that. And it builds my faith and other things that um, are going on in my life. I keep a folder in my... That's kind of archived now because it's paper, right? I've also got a laptop... And I've got folders in my laptop of things, prophetic things, or things that I believe that the Lord has spoken to me or encouraged me to do or is calling me to do and to be, and uh, places that I can look at them. Just this last week, um, Lisa and I were away for a few days, and we took time to, uh, to examine one, one document like that. We, um, we had a friend that we trust who walks with the Lord and we really believe is, is in tune and, and sensitive to the voice of God. And uh, a year ago, was a year ago on the 11th, so this is just over a year ago, she sent me an email and said, uh, it, was, it was, she said, I really, the Lord woke me up and put these things in my heart, and, and uh, here's some things for you and Lisa and your family, and it's this, it's a whole page. It's pretty wonderful. And uh, she she did what is right. She said, you know, you're supposed to judge this. I hope it's right. I hope, you know, feel, I believe the Lord's in this, you know, if not, give me grace, but... Um, this could be the Lord. So not wanting to just blow things off because it didn't come at a time or a place or from a person I expected it to, trusting that the Lord picks the instruments that He uses, I have kept that document in my, in-mail, my email inbox. Now believe me, I hate having anything in my, e- in my inbox. My inbox is my to-do list, okay that's the most efficient way it just works for me. If you want to get my attention to do something or to be aware of something, you send me an email because I can't stand having anything in my email. I'll deal with it. You know? i just forward it to Eric or Lisa, see? And it's fixed. Where's Eric? Uh, yeah. Not really. Really. So, <laughs> anyway. So, um, this list was all kinds of things. It talked about our ministry, our, our relationship with the Lord, our ministry together, things about our children and our future that the Lord was speaking to her. And um, she wrote it down. And it was really rich. It was really rich. And in the middle of that, the Lord required a response. And uh, I don't want to read the whole document to you, but I can tell you that there were things there that were very important to us. And and so it's been in my inbox, and every once in a while I read it again and kind of just kind of make an assessment. And the reason we spent time on it this last week is because it became one year old. And I thought, okay, at a year, we should be able to make some sort of you know, assessment of what the Lord maybe was speaking to us because it's been written down. And I remembered some things in there, um, so I'm going to read this to you now. I'm reading this to you because what I'm going to show you is how I messed up, how I have failed this prophetic. You know, this, to respond as I should have, I believe. And so you just get to learn from my mistakes. Is that all right? <laughs> I mean, you'd rather see somebody else pulled over on the freeway for a speeding ticket than get it yourself, right? Okay, all right. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So this is now, I'm lifting this out of this document. Also, there is a new level of favor and blessing coming in the lives of your children. And then she has a parenthetical note. For some reason, Pastor Terry, I feel that this is connected to you aggressively claiming and verbally declaring God's high call over your kids in your time of prayer. Even though God has this for them, it's not automatic. Somehow your declarations in prayer will open up a level of God over them that is deeper and greater than where they are. Now, this is in this prophetic word that was given to me. And by the way, all that I just read to you is entirely 100% scriptural. There's nothing in here that the word of God wouldn't support or participate in. But here's this deal. She's saying, God has a new level of blessing for your children, that is tied to you doing some things that are your role, your spiritual role as a covering, as a patriarch, whatever it is that I am, my clan. I'm supposed to aggressively claim and verbally declare. I hadn't done that. I, I had tipped it. I hadn't done it. It's like, you know, I kind of... A drive-by. I hadn't done it. <laughs> hadn't done it. Now, this was given to me in November of last year, and... Um, Probably along about June or July, I'm doing this one of my reviews, and I'm thinking, the Holy Spirit's saying, uh, Terry, go back to that sentence again. Uh, uh, oh, 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 stop, stop. You don't need to read anything else. You've got something to do here. I mean, and okay, so, so here's some backstory. We shared with you this really good news for Lisa and me that, our, that we're going to be grandparents, that our daughter is having a baby. Well, I guess Jason's having one too, I suppose. <laughs> but here's the backstory, and I have their permission to go into these details with you. We didn't know this, but they had been trying to get pregnant for nearly a year and a half, unsuccessfully. And um, that could be kind of hard if you're trying to be pregnant and uh, your friends are all being pregnant and producing kids and you're not able to. And I'm sure that this speaks to people in this room. Um, so I, I take a rabbit trail just for a second and say that, you know, this is a point of sensitivity when we kid around with people, with a, even with a right heart and good nature. And say, hey, when are you going to have kids you can really be breaking their hearts. You need to be really sensitive to the spirit when you make those kinds of comments to people because you don't know. Anyway, so um, they shared with us uh, in uh, probably late July, I think, we were camping together. So they shared with us, hey, um, I want you to know we've been trying to get pregnant for a year and a half and is uh, isn't happening and so we have started the process of seeing medical experts on the issue of fertility to sort this out. Well, we were pretty excited that they were trying to have a baby because we want them to, um, but brokenhearted with them and um, not too sure. And somewhere else in this prophetic document were some comments about grandchildren. But I realized that we hadn't claimed and verbally declared. So we didn't tell them any of this. I didn't want any added pressure on them about us doing this or doing something like that. I said, honey, I, I know the Lord has said to, uh, to me that we're supposed to verbally claim and aggressively declare God's blessing upon our children. So we rolled ourselves out of the sack early a couple of mornings, and I know at least one time we were over there on August 6th at 5 in the morning, parked in front of their house, you know, stalking them. <laughs> and our windows were closed, and we got a little loud. In our enthusiasm and in our verbal aggressive declaration, we did literally what we understood the word to say to us. And it wasn't like we were trading God for something. We were just doing what we felt the Lord told us we were supposed to be doing. Because it had been written down, we had it to do. If this hadn't been written down, we would have forgotten this. Because it was written down, the Lord and the Holy Spirit was able to correct his son and say, Terry, you're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to do things the first time I tell you. You're supposed to do them right the first. You messed up. You got something to do here. Is somebody in your family paying a price, Terry, because you haven't, you know, come on. You know, God's saying, come on, Pastor Terry. I mean, I didn't feel condemned. I felt motivated to get this right. And it's because it was written down that I was able to do that. It was less than a month later that they said to it, uh 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 we're not going for medical help anymore. Now we're having prenatal visits. We're pregnant. And we got so excited. It was less than a month that they shared that grand news. And I look at that and I, you know, I don't know if I need to apologize to you, but I am publicly apologizing to you that if we were if we held you up, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not taking credit for you being pregnant (laughs) or not being pregnant. I don't think that comment is going to take me anyplace good, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> and there are other topics on that document that um, that are that that are important to us. And um, it's been a year, and some of them we're waiting for, and some of them you know we're we're you know we're praying about. But it's written down, so we can hold it before us and say to God, now Lord, here's the vision you put before us. You know. It still does not come to be- pass. But we have that anchor point to go to. And, um, and so what do you do when you're in a crisis of belief? Where are you, God? I don't know what to do. And where are you? The first thing you do is you stop and you listen. And then the second thing you do is when he shows you anything at all, you write it down. You record it. And the third thing you do when you're in the dip is you Wait. man, that's hard. That's awkward, isn't it? I mean, what was that, 15 seconds? Dead air time. You just burned 15 seconds. I'm never going to get back past you, Terry. Come on, give me back my 15s. You wait. You wait. That could be so hard because, you know, we want instant satisfaction. We don't even want to get out of the car. We want them to give us our latte through the window while we slow down. We don't even want to stop. We want to hold our, our cell phone up with the deal as we go by, and they go, oh, got it, okay, good, you can come back again. I mean, we don't want to stop and listen and wait. We're, we're just, you know, we want it now, and yet God's speaking to us, and we have to take time sometimes to wait. And watch what God says to the prophet in verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger... Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. When God promises you something, you may have to wait, but you can trust His promises. You can trust them. Some of you, right now, you're in a waiting zone. You believe God has spoken to you. Maybe you've even recorded it, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're afraid that it's not going to happen you should remember something. God's delays are not God's denials. Once God has promised something, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. Scripture is completely jammed full of examples where God promises something and then they had to wait, but they came to pass. I mean, I'll give you a a, a few quick ones. Moses, you know, he promises... Uh, God promises to Moses that he will deliver the nation of Israel and he he pulls them out, but they got to wander 40 years before they get to move into the promises of God. 40 years. What is Moses? He waits and he waits and he waits. 40 years go by 40. That's 280 dog years. I mean, 40 years. He waits and he waits and he waits. And all the time he's looking at things going on around him that don't make sense. He's in the dip for 40 years. What does he do? But then God brings it to pass. Joseph, God says to Joseph, you know, he says to him, you know, you're going to be a great leader. You're going to be a leader and you're going to influence a lot of people. You have no idea you're going to be a great leader. So what happens to him? His brothers beat him up, kidnap him, throw him into a hole, sell him into slavery. He is in a dip. <laughs> he goes to prison. People next to him in prison cells get pulled out and executed. He's in a bad place. And God miraculously raises this guy up and makes him second in charge over all of Egypt. The most, second most powerful person probably in the world at the time. Took a long time. Apostle Paul, you know. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, that whole thing about the flash. I meaning he goes blind, all that happens. And Jesus places a call upon him and says, you are going to be a vo- my voice piece to the Gentile world but you study it through and you find out that it's actually 13 years goes by before he starts to get the opportunity to preach to the Gentiles. 13 years. Wait, 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 but it happens. And in that time, you know, Paul's going through that. I'm thinking, you know, he's a man of faith. I mean, he wrote so much about faith, but, you know, I, I don't know what I would be thinking. But here's the deal. All that time he's waiting, God's promise is still true. God was using that time he was shaping Paul. He was doing things in that time. No, no doubt, Paul thought, yeah, come on, I'm ready. Put me in, coach, put me in. You know? But God's ways are higher. His plans are broader. Sometimes you just have to wait, and you wait. And here's what a lot of people think. You know, oh, I'm waiting, so I'm just stuck right here. And when they think that they're waiting, that there's no movement. I mentioned to you before I was on that rabbit trail before church, before worship, about waiting, about adhering ourselves to the Lord by twisting together. This, there's this, this word, wait on the Lord, I, I got a friend who, um, who manages a restaurant and there's all these waiters in there. Do you know what waiters do? They're running around serving. Do you get that? A waiter is somebody who runs around and serves. <laughs> I mean... You might move more than you ever have before when you're waiting for God. You don't sit still somewhere. You serve the Lord. And this word waiting is just like the other one that we had before service out of Isaiah 40. This one is a little bit different word. It still means adhere to. But, but Eric, you were so sensitive to the Spirit, I believe, this morning when you were talking about being pierced. Because this one is adhere yourself to God. This word waiting means to adhere by piercing. By piercing. By piercing. Nail yourself to God. He's done the nailing already. Wait upon the Lord is to serve Him, even when you don't understand. You continue to serve Him. And it it mentions an appointed time in verse three. That's that word is moed. It means an appointed or a fixed time. You know, it's like kind of like you know. I guess I'm thinking about pregnancy. All of a sudden, it's like you know a woman who's nine months pregnant. When the time is the time, the time will be the time, and that's the time. You, you, can't, you can't do anything, you know? I mean, the time is the time. The, this moed word that is being used here means there's nothing you can do to speed it up because it's God's time. And there's nothing anybody else can do to stop it or slow it down because it's God's time. Wait for it. Wait for it. How long did Habakkuk wait for this thing that he was going? It was a long time. Most of his people didn't even get to see it. It was the next generation that saw God's promises fulfilled. Even if you do not see him or his promises fulfilled, they will be because his words are absolutely true. Some of you right now are in a waiting zone and you're in the dip and God's promised you something and you don't see it. I want to reread this scripture to you, though this time from the Living Bible. The words are kind of, so, and when I pray it to you this time, or when I, when I read it to you this time, I'm, my prayer is that it's going to speak to you Spiritually. Starting back in in verse three, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient; they will not be overdue a single day. And God says to Habakkuk, you know, listen, because I'm going to speak to you. You take notes and then be ready to wait. I know you're thinking uh, these Babylonians are bad people and they're evil, and they deserve to get theirs. And yes, I'll deal with that, and I'll deal with them when I'm ready, but you just wait, because I'm the Heavenly Father, and I'm just and I'm righteous and I'm pure. And God talks about, talks about that. He says in the next verse, verse four, he says, "See he. see, Babylon is, is puffed up. You know, Pap- Babylon thinks everything in life is about him thinks we don't need to follow God's rules. We've got it all together. We've got it all figured out. God's stuff doesn't apply to us. That's what's going on in Babylon. It says his desires are not upright. And then in the next handful of verses, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because uh, we don't have it. He says what exactly he's going to do um, concerning Babylon, how he's going to punish them. And so I'm just going to, cruise through this verse six he's speaking to babylonian thieves he says woe to him who piles up stolen goods you're going to pay what you've done but don't be a thief verse nine he says here he's talking to cheaters woe to him who builds his realm by unjust game verse 12 he's talking to violence to violent ones he says woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed verse 15 he seems to be talking to the the out of control partiers yeah out of control part Verse 15, he says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors till they're drunk. Verse 19, he says, you know, he's talking to idolaters. Those who believe that meaning in life will come from the things of the world. He's talking to them and he says, woe to him who says to wood, come to life. You things, you're going to fulfill me. You're going to satisfy me. And God just says, in my own time, wait for it. And what I do will be completely just, just wait for it. My word is good. God's saying this. Let's go back to verse four one more time and we'll pick up the second part of that verse and see. And now this verse is what probably most students of the Bible believe is the key verse in the whole book of Habakkuk. It's, it's one I'm sure you've heard before. See, Babylon is puffed up. Their desires are not upright. But God says there's another group of people that he, he says he's gonna call the righteous. He says, the righteous will live by his faith the righteous those who are mine they're going to live not by what they see not by what's going on around them the righteous no matter what's happening they live by their faith what are they going to have their faith in i think they'll absolutely have faith in you know whatever god has said to them they've listened i think they'll have faith in whatever they've recorded that god has spoken to them they believe you know they'll have faith to wait for his promises even if it looks like things are going backwards, they're going downhill and it doesn't make sense. Even when people around you are saying, hey, give up and quit this God stuff. You should forsake God and move on. The righteous will not live by what they see. Instead, they'll live by faith. If you ever want to be built up in your faith, you can just spend a few minutes in Hebrews chapter 11. It's kind of the faith chapter. And here's this big list of of, uh, things that the writer there talks about things that he believed by faith. I'll just blow through this too. By faith, we believe that the world was formed at the word and the command of God. We believe that by faith. If you're a student of science, there's a lot more reasons to believe that as well, but I won't go there. That's a huge rabbit trail that I would never come away from. By faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith. By faith, Abraham and Sarah, who were past childbearing age, Believed because God said, you'll have children. And God brought them a son. By faith, the children of Israel marched around the city of Jericho a bunch of times, did just what God said, by faith. And the walls came down and there was a wonderful victory there. By faith, the children that, that left Egypt walked through an area of parted sea, the Red Sea. They walked through it. And when they got through the other side, it closed back up and it swallowed up the Egyptian army and chariots and all these people that were coming. By faith, they did that by faith. The righteous will live by faith. So when God promises you a child and you can't conceive, you believe his promise. And maybe he'll bring you a child because of a miraculous medical procedure or something that'll be sovereign, or maybe you'll adopt. But if God has promised you something, he will deliver it. You continue to live by faith. If you're giving and you're feeling like, Man, I'm not gonna have any money left to do these other things if I do, but you're being obedient to the word of God, you live by faith knowing that God is your provider. If your marriage is falling apart, and everybody that you, around you maybe is saying, you know, you should just give up on this, divorce, you know, just get out of that. You could instead, look, no, I remember the words I said, the vows, and I believe that with God all things are possible. And by faith, or by faith, maybe your kids are making, you know, bonehead decisions. And maybe that's being complimentary to call it something like that. Maybe your kids are doing things that are just, You look at it you think, that road is destruction. Don't go there. But by faith you believe that God is working in their lives to bring about good to those who believe and trust God and are called according to his purposes. By faith you believe those things. You continue when things are going the wrong way to live by faith. You live by faith, not by what you see. Instead you live by faith. What about when you're living by faith and in your lifetime you don't get to see the promise here's three words here's three words that you just need to remember these three words if you can't remember all this other stuff remember these three words but the Lord but the Lord you see this in verse 20 even though I don't understand things and though I don't like things even though I don't believe you know, I don't want to believe what's going to happen verse 20 but the Lord is in his holy temple But the Lord is still on his throne. But the Lord is still in control. But the Lord is still in charge. But the Lord, he is good. He is righteous. But the Lord, he is still there. Even though everything else says, you know, I don't like what I see, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know, there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're done, I'm gonna pray. Nebuchadnezzar is saying to them, you bow down to me and worship me. And they're saying, no, not going to do that. And they're saying, repeating back to him, you say say if you put us in there that we will surely die. And that could be true. But we don't think so. We believe God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will still trust our God. We will believe our God. Why? Why? Because he's still in his temple. He's still on his throne. Because he is still on his throne, I will live by faith. What do you do when you're in the dip? You listen to God. You record what he says. You wait. And then you live by faith because the Lord is still on his throne. Let's pray. Lord, today... Uh, It's just been on my heart, you know, and I know it's on yours about people who are in the dip right now, and it is so hard. I just pray, Lord, that you would do something in our hearts that would bring life, that would bring power, that would bring victory, that would just fill us with hope today. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're still on your throne. There is nothing that I can face. There is nothing that we will encounter that will tip you off of your throne and I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.